Well, it's been a while since we recorded new episodes for Revival on Air today, and that's going to change. I was recently at the March 2022 Revival Fellowship Leadership Camp at Karakalinga, which was incredibly inspiring. And I'll put a link to the YouTube videos in the show notes uh, and the Revival on the Air Today website. The camp inspired me to stop letting other things get in the way of recording the miraculous testimonies of what God has done in people's lives. So I expect to see more episodes soon. So while I was down at camp, I recorded Alicia's testimony and she tells of her miraculous healing from depression after losing her medication when she was in Papua New Guinea. Medication she had been on for years and years and frankly, couldn't do without. She also talks about how originally she was afraid to be healed It's a wonderful story. Just a quick warning about the content. While we don't go into a lot of detail, in our conversation there is mention of depression, suicide and sexual abuse. We obviously believe in the ability for God to heal all manner of physical, emotional and mental illnesses. However, if you need immediate help regarding suicide or mental ill health, in Australia you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 226636 or visit their website beyondblue.org.au or Lifeline on 131114 or lifeline.org.au. If you are overseas, visit your local health practitioner or emergency department. Okay, time to get on with Alicia's story. It's amazing. Alicia, welcome to Revival on the Air today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we're at Leadership Camp 2022 in March, mm-hmm. down at Karakalinga, mm-hmm. with kids running around. Few people will probably hear them in the background. Yes. <laughs> They're making a joyful noise. They are making a joyful noise. It's a great place down here. Yeah. It's been a wonderful camp so far. You uh, you gave your testimony last night, and I'd not heard your testimony before, and I was excited about yeah. you know your miraculous healing and, and mm. other things that you said. So I'd love for you to be able to share some of that with uh, with our listeners. Yeah, I'm always happy to tell my testimony. Um, so, so you're originally you're from down this way from Adelaide, but you don't live yeah. here anymore. I grew up in Adelaide and um, came to the Lord in Adelaide, and then about five years into my walk, I met someone. Um, a boy in Queensland and quite liked him so I moved up there to be with him and, and we've been married for two years now and cool. living on the sunny coast. Yeah, great fun fellowship from what I from what I hear. Yeah, oh, there's a lot of wonderful people there, very spiritually led and mm. lots of room for growth mm. so it's cool. been a blessing to be there. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. So tell us a bit about some of the miraculous things that have happened to you over your uh, time with the Lord. Sure. Well, I guess um, depression is a big part of my story, a big part of my life. Hopefully it's not too confronting or triggering for other people to hear about it. Basically, I grew up, you know, in a fairly nice household, but then, you know, some drama sort of happened growing up that sort of sort of changed me and probably was a precursor to my developing depression in my teens. I was actually uh, sexually abused as a child. And um, I remember very distinctly that my whole personality changed after that happened to me. I was quite popular in my very early primary school days. And, you know, I was always one of the lead dancers in uh, my little dance group, you know, like we'd go and show the, our performances in front of the kids and we were so cool. But I just remember after that happened, you know, I couldn't be part of those groups anymore. And uh, it just changed everything. And it 
um, created a really big like sort of fragmentation in my family as well because it was just so shocking that it happened. Can I ask how old you were? I was probably six. Yeah. Yeah, so very young. And it's, it's just interesting how much it changed me. Mm. And um, I, I like remember people, my friends at school, treating me weird as well because I was acting weird. And they said, what's these big bags under your eyes? Because I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. It was just, and I felt so weird and I couldn't be a part of that anymore. Anyway, that, that situation resolved, but it wasn't addressed kind of thing. So. so then you just, you know, keep on going on. And then a year later, my father developed paranoid schizophrenia and he took his life. Wow. So then my mum was a single parent. So I think that was sort of the start for me, sort of like all these things happened and it was hard and I... And I couldn't get along with people how I used to. It's a lot for any child to do. Yeah. It's unreal. So I think I was eight. Yeah. Maybe when my father passed. Seven or eight. But this sort of set me up for this sort of idea, you know, life's hard. So then in in high school, I was sort of, you know, doing okay. And then I had some, you know, silly high school relationship that really broke down and then that's when I first remember um, sort of sitting, I was sitting in art class and thinking about how this boy didn't want to be my boyfriend anymore and I remember just looking off into the distance and not really, I wasn't really there. So that's my first memory of sort of depression type symptoms and because of, you know, because I developed depression, it made it hard to interact with other people yeah. and it made it hard to feel like you know, life felt like suffering. So you sort of wonder, well, I, if all I'm going to do is suffer, why would I want to be here? So I, um, I did actually, you know, start searching for the answer. I thought, well, I don't want to live this way and I don't want to die. Because um, my father, you know, it was painful for him what he did. Like, it was painful for me what he mm -hmm. chose. And I didn't want to do that to my mum. Because mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's just, it's just hard when a loved one chooses that. So I started looking around and I thought, well, surely there's someone I can, like, what's the steps? Like, what do I need to do? The world sort of tells you, you you're free, you're free. Pick what makes you happy and do that and that's okay. And, and no one can tell you it's wrong. If, if, that, if you think that's what makes you happy, do that. Like, no one has a right to tell you what will or won't make you happy. Go out, explore, figure it out. Find, your, thought, find your own path. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, that's a big responsibility. I don't, I barely have enough time to get my schoolwork done, you know. <laughs> How am I supposed to have the time to figure out what's going to make me happy? So I started looking around, you know, like money, careers, family, relationships. I thought, you know, well, let's look at marriage. And I, I looked at how much divorce there is these days. And I have friends whose parents are divorced and it, it really caused the whole family to suffer. And I thought, well, I w don't really want to start a marriage if it's just going to end and, and you're worse off for even starting it at all. Yeah. So I thought, OK, well, that's a bit no hope. And I looked at careers and I thought well doctors and lawyers like they're like out there saving the world and earning all the money and going on the holidays and then I looked it up and 
out of all the professions that exist, they've got the highest rate of depression. And I thought, well, obviously that's not working out very well for them. And they've also got one of the highest rates of divorce as well. So I thought, well, that's kind of no good. And then you look at famous people, they're all overdosing and divorced and just going off the rails. And I just, I looked around and I just, it was so weird. I just could not find anyone whose life I wanted. So you were doing all this research to yeah. try and find what the answer, yeah. the answer Yeah, I would have been probably 16. Yeah. Yeah, just trying to figure out what to do. And I couldn't find anything. Um, one of my friends ended up inviting me to go to her church, so I decided to go there yeah. and think, well, I just thought, well, I'm surely like religion, Christianity couldn't have survived this long if there wasn't some truth to it. So I'll explore that. Maybe God's true. Yeah. And um, I was there for quite a long time and I came out believing that God was real, but not having anything to prove it. I remember asking someone, I said, well, you know, if someone asks me, prove to me God's real, how do I prove it to them? And they said, you can't. That's what faith is. Believing in something that you can't prove. And I remember thinking that's ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, if God's real and almighty and powerful, why is it that he can't do something to indicate that he's there? And I ended up leaving that church over some, some social dispute. Um, there was some, and then I just, there wasn't the love of the brethren there, you know? There was some sort of misunderstanding and everyone sort of, it was so awkward they couldn't reconcile with me. It might have, might have been my fault that we couldn't reconcile, but I just thought there's no, God's not here. Hmm. Then after that, my brother, Nick, he was 29 at the time and so I was in uni. Older brother, yeah. My older brother, Nick, yeah. He had a, a motorbike accident and broke his neck and became quadriplegic and, um, it's through that circumstance that, that me, Nick and my mum were saved um, because Nick's friend was a neighbour of Pastor Tony, who's at Gawler. Yeah. And uh, Pastor Tony had prayed for Nick's friend. Nick's friend needed a, a knee surgery. Mm -hmm. Pastor Tony prayed for him and whatever the problem was, was completely healed and he didn't need the surgery anymore. And um, Nick's friends just thought, oh, that's great, and just went on his way. Never went to a meeting, never wanted to be baptised, or never, not, never wanted to know God. But when Nick had this healing need, Pastor Tony was the first one his friend thought of. And Pastor Tony, interestingly, I'm going to give you the long version of everything. Completely fine with the long version. <laughs> <laughs> so Pastor Tony, is, he was actually um, a bit fed up. Apparently he really wanted some revival. And he got fed up and said to the Lord, I'm not getting off my knees until you give me a witness. And so um, he was on his knees when, when this friend knocked on his door. Pastor Tony got off his knees. How can I help you? Oh, I want you to come pray for my friend. And that's praying for Nick. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, Pastor Tony started witnessing to Nick every week. He'd go in once a week. So Nick was in hospital still at this stage? Uh, I think he was in the rehab facility. Mm -hmm. He was in intensive care for a long time on a ventilator. And it's miraculous that he was able to get off of the ventilator at all. 
But um, yeah, I think he wasn't allowed to visit Nick while he was in ICU. I think it was afterwards when he was in rehab. And Pastor Tony said to Nick, I'm going to come every week until you tell me to go away. You shouldn't have made that promise because he was fulfilling it for a year. I reckon Pastor Tony would be pretty stubborn. I reckon he'd stick to that. Do you know what? I think he's been visiting Nick every every week for the last nine years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, never, Nick was so not interested but could never tell him to go away because there was that little seed of doubt. Yeah. Maybe Pastor Tony's true. Right, yeah. So... About a year later, so it's been a year of Pastor Tony coming in every week for a year. And I, my depression got a lot worse because I decided that if I got really, really skinny, I'd be happy. Yeah. And then I got really skinny and I wasn't happy. And it was like the tipping point and my depression got five times worse. Had to quit uni, I couldn't go to uni. I remember once mum said, this is ridiculous, of course you can go to uni. She sat me down in front of my laptop to do my assignments and I just did that blank stare thing where you just can't concentrate, you just can't do. You just sort of, it's almost trance-like, it's so weird. And did your mum know about the depths of your depression? I don't think she realised until I became incapable of living a normal life. Once I couldn't go to uni and I couldn't go to work, it all sort of happened at once, you know. I, and then, of course, I was I was drinking a lot of alcohol as well because I got to this stage where I, I couldn't cope with the sadness and I wanted to die to stop being sad. But I didn't want to do that to her. And so the only way was to get my mind off it was to inebriate myself. Yeah. And I think that went on for a couple of months. It was... Uh, I hate to think what I was like because I can't remember a lot of it. <laughs> it would have been very uh, depressing to watch. And um, mum was quite, you know, felt quite helpless because with my dad, when he had mental health, you know, she tried so hard to help him, but she couldn't. And she knew it was going to be the same with me, that there's nothing in her power to do to save me. And um, so she said to Nick, Nick, you got to save Alicia. Like, you got to take her to the meetings. Like, this is something that only God can do. So I'm not sure if mum had some sort of faith in God already. She must have. But she just said, you know, this is last resort stuff. Like, Nick, you got to take her. Tried everything else. I'm better to try this God thing, see if it's real. <laughs> yeah, it must have been something like that. And then she said to me, Alicia, you know, Nick's really suffering, you know, he's quadriplegic, he can't do anything, there's no future for him, like, like he's having a hard time and, and you need to help him get to the meetings to find hope in his life. So, so she put it on each of you to help the other. Mm. Good mum, isn't she? Yeah, that's clever. <laughs> so I went to help him, he went to help me, you know, we weren't going for ourselves. And um, the first meeting I showed up to, I... It felt like coming home. It was the weirdest sensation. And um, the, one of the things that stuck out to me was, you know, we're not just preaching our ideas. It's not man's ideas. It's the word of God. Everything we say is in this, in this book yeah. that God wrote, um, God inspired. And I thought, well, I believe in God. I, think, I do think that God is real, but I just, I just want to hear from God. Like, I just want God. Yeah, so that was important to me. And... Um, 
Well, I also remember the, a testimony there. I'm, I can't remember who it was, but he, um, he had some kind of condition, lung condition, where his lungs were um, dying or turning off from the bottom up. And the doctors discovered it and said, you have two months to live. This disease is progressively getting higher and higher up your lungs. And when it gets too high, you're going to die. Yeah. And um, he had a big prayer about it. And next time he went to the doctor, the x-rays showed that it was his lung was recovering stage by stage. Going the opposite way down. It's mm. just getting better and better. Yeah. So instead of going um, dying little by little, it was healing little by little. Yeah, right. And he's... He said that classic thing, you know, one doctor's there looking at the two x-rays and then they call another one in and then five, 10 minutes later there's 20 of them in there trying to figure out yeah, what's, what's happened. Yeah. yeah. And I was studying nursing at the time and so I understood the body and yeah. a little bit anyway and thought, this is a miracle, mm. like this is God. And I was like, this is what I've been searching for. God's here, God's working. Mm. God's proving himself to people. And, and that's all I wanted was just to be in a place where he exists, where he's working, where he's communicating with us. So I decided to come along for four meetings before I'd commit. I'm the type of person, if you if you commit, you, you're committed. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure. Yeah. And on my fourth meeting, I got baptized by full immersion. Yeah, they had to get out get out some sort of collapsible baptism tank and fill it up and when I came out of the waters of baptism I was praying and um, I didn't receive right away and I became so fearful I was like oh it's not happening what am I going to do please Lord and then I received received the Holy Spirit yeah I received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and I was so relieved because I just thought if I don't receive in this tank I'm never receiving I don't know why yeah, and something I, I like to point out is, you know, I was very depressed at that stage, but it's definitely up to this day, one of the happiest days of my life. It's just amazing. It's, it's a three, like a 180, like completely turned everything around. And I knew that God was real. You just know, like I thought I knew, but when I received the Holy Spirit, I knew, knew. It's different. Yeah, it is different. <laughs> it's the proof, right? And it goes back to, you know, your original statement or conversation with someone from another church about, no, there is no proof, you just have to believe. Yeah. And this was the complete opposite to that, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, definitely. Mm. And, um, yeah, so once I received the Holy Spirit, things became easier. I was able to stop drinking, which was a huge relief for everyone. And I was able to start sort of um, going back to work a little bit. And things became sort of manageable, which was, yeah, all, all that I needed. I don't know if that was just some sort of miraculous sort of easing of depression or just having purpose, like understanding. Because once you know God's real, you know so much. You know why you're here. You know how you're here. You know that you're loved by a creator. You know that you have a purpose. It changes everything because depression is is feeling unloved and purposeless. Yeah. For me, it was. It, it is for many. Mm. Mm. Because, yeah, before God, you sort of just think, why am I here? Because mm. life can be hard, and if you don't have a purpose to pull you through, it just feels senseless. So I think it was easier just knowing, you know, God sort of tells you, answered all my questions. Just by proving he was real, he answered all my questions, you know. 
How am I supposed to live my life? You know, what can I do to turn my life around? Like going back to, you know, who do I base my life off of? Uh, looking at everyone in the world, I couldn't find anyone, but then you have Jesus. And Jesus tells you exactly who you are, what you are, that you're loved, that you're worthy, what conduct he expects you to do, how he expects you to treat other people. And to me, it was just such a big relief and such a freedom to finally know what I need to do to be happy. And it goes, it reminds me of something that was said in that testimony. I can't remember her name, but she was sort of saying, you know, all these rules that are in place or guidelines, whatever you'd like to call them, they're not there to just, just because. They're there to save you from trauma. Mm. They're there to save you from regret. They're there to save you from mistakes. And it also reminds me of the pastor from Roma, I think it was, and, and he was talking to that girl who, who wanted to come to the church but didn't want to stop sinning. Oh, pastor Ian from Rockhampton. Oh, Rockhampton, is it? And um, he said, well, I, I thought that you were having a terrible time in the world. Isn't that why you want to come to church? Well, your sin, it, that's what's causing all these things that you want to escape, like the violence and aggression and, and betrayal. They're a result of your sin. If you can't, you need to decide what you want. Either you want to live a good life, righteous life, and have good things. Or and, a, wanna, and a new life. And a new life. Yeah. Or you want to keep sinning and keep living this life that you hate. Anyway, it's just interesting. I think there's just such freedom in knowing, in having a roadmap provided for you yeah. so you don't have to make mistakes because there's so many things said in the Bible that you shouldn't do that I did in my teenage years and I uh, definitely regret all of them. <laughs> definitely didn't have a good time as a teenager. Yeah, and then um, so I, I pretty much cruised, I suppose, for four or five years, sort of, you know, coping with the depression. And how were you coping? What was the coping? Did you have your medication? Did you, you know, were you going and seeing psychologists or anything? How did you cope? Um, so I was on a medication. Mm -hmm. The medication was sort of designed to zombify you. Uh, it stops you from being reckless and um, hurting yourself. It's not a fun medicine to be on, mm -hmm. but it's a necessary one for your safety. It was on that. And that makes life a bit hard because you're a little bit slow and a little bit vague, and but you can survive, so that's why you take it, you know. And um, I did at one point try to wean myself off of it, just very slowly. So I was on 100 milligrams Zoloft. And then I, I you know, every couple of months I would go try and go down by 70, uh, 25%. So tried 75 was coping, tried 50. And I remember I was just in the car with Nick one day and I said, I'm not coping, I can't. <laughs> I need to go back on like a higher dose of this medicine. I, I really, 50 is too low. Like I can't, can't do it. I can't live this way. I can't trust myself. And I'm so glad that I did that because it's, it just showed that I wasn't stopping the medicine and, and getting over this depression wasn't something I could do in my own strength. Yeah. People, there was a lot of people that thought the subject of healing is very, it's very interesting. A lot of people have different opinions about how you should approach healing. I, I had lots of prayer for a while about getting healed from depression. 
Um, and some people encouraged me that it was something I needed to do every week and to be consistent about it. But I didn't want to, so it felt very ingenuine. So I decided, you know, I'd prayed about it. God knew. God is, you know, healing is God's work. It's not my work and I can't earn it. So I just thought, you know, God's, I, I'm done. Like God's got this in his hands. And if I feel inspired to pray about it, I will. But I, I didn't feel a need to just routinely do it because I just thought that would change his mind or something. And so I was in, I want to go back a little bit because, yeah, basically I decided I'd put it to the Lord. It was his responsibility. He'll heal me if and when it's the right time, if and when it, it's his will. And if there was something in me that was stopping me from being healed, that's God's job to take me on a journey to realise it and God's job to take me on a journey to change so that I can be healed. And I just thought, you know, my responsibility is to read, my responsibility is to pray, my responsibility is to go to meetings, fellowship and witness to people. Like they're the jobs God's outlined for me. I'm going to do my part and he can do his part. Um, so that's how I sort of lived my life. You know, I went to everything. I went to the meetings. I went to youngies. I uh, went to all the camps. Like I fully just did everything God expected me to do, even though it was very difficult. Because it's a conversation I have with a lot of people. When you have depression and anxiety, it's very hard to show up. But God hasn't asked me to do much. But showing up is one of the things he's asked me to do. And there was a, a, a lot of times that I would have to leave the meetings halfway through because I would cry. Mm. And it's very embarrassing. Mm. But God didn't say, show up to the meetings and fellowship unless you get tearful often. Then don't show up. So you made a commitment that the, God hasn't asked you to do much other than turn up to meetings, pray, read your Bible. Witness. And witness to people. Yeah. Pretty good formula. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's something I heard in, in this leadership camp too. It said, you know, God's asked you to put hands on the sick and pray. That's the easy part. Jesus is going to come through and do the hard part. He's going to do the healing. Yeah. And you can come up with all sorts of reasons why you don't want to put your hands on someone and pray. But it's all based on fear. Mm. That's not... Just do what God says. It comes down to trusting God and putting away your, your pride and your excuses and your reasons for not serving. Mm. But God's asked you to serve. If you don't serve God, things are never going to get better. You have to trust God when he says these are the things you need to do. You need to trust that it will work out better for you if you just do those things. And um, that seems to help people a little bit. So you made this commitment, that's what you're going to do? Yes. What happened next? Well, I decided that I was going to go to Papua New Guinea and go to that rally there. It was so amazing to serve the Lord. Basically, I just heard that it was really uplifting. I went there for the same reason I came to this leadership camp, because I wanted to revive my spirit mm -hmm. and, get, and get that encouragement, get that passion to serve again, because it's easy to get entrenched in life and sort of forget. And while I was there, it was so easy to talk to people because you, never, you, thought, you knew you'd never see them again. Talk to people in the church or outside of outside the church? Outside of the church. So easy to witness. <laughs> That's where my boldness to witness came from. I was not a bold witnesser before that. I would never bowl up to somebody and just talk to them. Yeah. I'd have to be led into the conversation. And once, you know, if somebody asked me, I'd definitely tell them. But I would never boldly tell anybody. No. And 
and I, I had the same feeling you did, right? <laughs> it was that I could talk to anybody on the street in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And because I'd never see them again. Yeah, you just call out to them, hey, come to the meeting. Yeah. yeah. You want to be saved? Yeah. <laughs> when I got back to Adelaide, I made a commitment to the Lord and I said, if you give me the opportunities, I will boldly speak. And I reckon within a space of a week, I was down in a coffee shop uh, where I frequented it every day, actually multiple times a day. I was a bit addicted to coffee at the time. Mm. And, and there was this guy uh, on the sort of at the end of the counter, a customer, sort of yang, 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 complaining about his life and all his problems. <laughs> and then he said, and, and he was complaining about his girlfriend actually. Mm-hmm. And then he said something, and I wasn't listening, and then he said something like, and it's all Eve's fault. And I was like, this is it, Ben. This is the commitment you made. When there's an opportunity mm. to speak, you should speak. And I did. And I sidled up next to him and I said, what do you mean it's all Eve's fault? And then we pulled out the Bible and we had a look at actually whose fault it was, right? Mm. Just as much Adam's as it was Eve's. Mm. And I, apparently I gave him some advice out of the Bible, which I can't even remember. And uh, a week later, he came to me and said that worked, and we got talking, and he ended up getting baptised in spirit filled. Oh, wow. Amazing. But it came from that trip to Papua New Guinea where I had the same feeling as you, that I could be bold. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's just like God's just shown you, yes, this is how you get it done. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. So you're in Papua New Guinea, Mm. being bold, talking to anybody on the street, I imagine. Yes, yeah, anyone that looked at me, I was like, hmm. (laughs) You're going to hear something now. But, um, yeah, while I was there, I lost my medicine for depression. Wow. So, you know, going back to how I couldn't even wean off of it, you know, even just going from 75 to 50, I just wasn't coping. I, I, when I couldn't find it, I thought to myself, well, this is not good. <laughs> or, I, or, um... <laughs> Bye. See you, Parker. Why are you recording with what? So we're recording, we're telling, come, come here, come here, come here. So Alicia's telling us her testimony about what God's done in her life. But why are you recording it with headphones secretly? No, no, I'm not recording it secretly. It just makes me, makes me hear it a bit easier because I'm old and deaf. So I put headphones on so I can hear Alicia better. I can hear people so well. Well, that's because you're like, how old are you? Five. You're five years old and so your ears are pretty good. But when you get old like me, mate, ears are not so good. It's like your dad, how, your dad's old, isn't he? He's yeah, but old. he's not in depth. No, he's not. That's because he's not as old as me yet. How old are you? I don't really want to say. Why not? Okay. I'm ten times older than you. So, so, so you're five... fifteen. No, fifty. I'm fifty-one actually. My what? Fifty-one. Yeah. My dad is thirty-six. I know. So I'm fifteen years older than your dad. 15 years older. But when is it dinner time? I don't know. <laughs> It'll be, maybe go and check. And 5, 5.30, I think. Go and, go, and check what to, go, go and check what dinner time it is. And thanks, buddy. Okay. See ya. Bye. One of your friends. He's, I think he's a legend. He's <laughs> such a funny kid. Um, anyway, what we're saying? So you were saying... Medicine. Yeah, so you lost your medicine. Yeah, so I lost my medicine. One of my girlfriends said... 
um, that I said to her, she, she asked me, when do you think you'll be healed, Alicia? And I said, I don't know, I'll probably lose my medicine one day and then I'll be healed. And here you are in Papua New Guinea Papua New and you've Guinea. lost your medicine. Lost my medicine. Mm, and it's not the type of place you can go and get a prescription and refill yeah. on your medicine. So I went around and I asked everyone, does anyone have this medicine? Because it's fairly common. Yeah. No one had it, but then my secret was out. So everyone encouraged me to go to the prayer line and, and pray for a healing. And I was a little bit hesitant because I was like, no, I've already prayed about it. Like, I don't need to pray again. But when you're in Papua New Guinea and you've told 12 other saints, <laughs> you don't have a choice. And a prayer line in Papua New Guinea at a rally is pretty monumental, isn't it? Mm, so I was in a line of 20 and there's probably 20 lines each way. So a square, 20 by 20 people, I'm in yeah. the middle there. Yeah. And um, they come through, the people that are pray, they come through speaking in tongues and they sort of put their hand on your head and they pray for you for 30 seconds and then they go to the next two and then they go to the next two and everyone's praying all at the same time. It was a pretty intense thing to be a part of, yeah. but it was great. Yeah. It felt great to be in there. And um, when I was in there, I actually had a vision and um, oh, I haven't talked about this vision in a while. It was actually really interesting. I had a vision that my depression was kind of like this, this nut and I, I had this nut in my hands and I, and I covered the nut completely so you couldn't actually even see it at all because I had it in, in one palm of the hand and the other palm was on top, like a, like a shell, like, mm. so you can't see the nut at all. And it was interesting, I, um, in the vision, you know, I was holding this nut up to God but you couldn't see it because it I was clasping it so tightly and I was saying, God, please heal me. But he couldn't because I was holding onto oh, it. Holding onto it, wow. And then when I realized I opened my um, hands up and revealed the nut and then God took it away from me. And I, I realized that I was afraid to be healed because when you have depression, you think you're such a terrible person. You think you, you're awkward and negative and, and stupid and dull and boring and and all these awful things. And um, I realize it's something that's so important when you have depression is realizing what's you and what's depression. Because yeah. depression makes you dull, it makes you negative, it makes you boring, it makes you anxious. But somewhere deep down subconsciously, I did believe that those depression, I was fearful that I would be healed of depression and all of those depression symptoms or qualities would actually just be me. Yeah. I was so afraid I'd be healed and it would be revealed that I actually was a terrible person. Wow. It was, and it was like... And so is, you realised all of this in the prayer line? Yeah. yeah. And this is what I was trying to say earlier. God took me on a journey to realise something that allowed me to be healed. And I'm so glad that I didn't try and figure it out myself. And I'm so glad I didn't waste my time condemning myself for not being able to realize it yeah. by myself. Because God led me to PNG and he led me to a frame of mind and a position where he was able to reveal that to me. Yeah. And then I was able to be healed. Amazing. Like that was God's job to heal me and he came through. Like, so, so tell me about the healing. When did you realize you were healed? 
I feel like I realised I realised something had happened in the prayer line, and then um, the next day when I woke up, because it takes about half a day for me to feel the the withdrawal symptoms of the medicine. Yeah. So practically that same day that I was in the prayer line, you know, it was dinner time, and I realised I felt actually better than ever, which is the opposite of how I should be feeling because usually. Uh, half a day without that medicine, I start feeling very paranoid and reckless yeah. and uh, reclusive. Yeah. But I was feeling actually quite sociable and calm and just enjoying Papua New Guinea. And so I just didn't worry about it. I thought, I don't think I was ever worried about how I'd go in Papua New Guinea. I just knew the Lord would get me through. But I was just like, wow, I've definitely, God's definitely getting me through this. Like, I'm going to be fine. I just knew I was going to be fine for the trip because uh, if something was going to go wrong, it probably would have gone wrong by now. So I just claimed that and told people, you know, I'm feeling great. And then when I got back to Australia, I I wanted to be responsible, you know. Um, And so when I got back to Australia, I, I said to the Lord, well, thank you so much, Lord, for getting me through that trip. That was very, you know, life-saving, miraculous, incredible. And how long between when you lost the medication to when you got back home? Uh, five days. Yeah. Yeah, which is definitely long enough for things to go very wrong. But um, so when I came back, I sort of said, you know, Lord, like, thank you for that. And I said, you know, I want to be responsible. So if I get a single symptom of depression once I'm back in Australia... Like, I'll go straight back on that medicine because I need to be responsible. And I said, if I get even a single symptom, I'll go straight back on the medicine because that's the thing to do. That's the right thing to do. That was four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I I haven't had a a single symptom of depression since. Praise the Lord. So then after a week being back in Australia, I sort of started telling people, like, I'm healed. Like, I'm definitely healed. Like, it's not come back. Um, definitely claiming the victory. And, yeah, some of my friends cried when I told them because they knew how hard it was for me to suffer. I bet they did. Yeah, I bet they did. Yeah, so definitely definitely a miracle. No withdrawal symptoms at all. Just snap, healed of depression. It's just impossible. It's interesting telling some people that haven't had depression. They just say, uh, people aren't in the Lord. They have never had depression. I tell them and they say... I'm so glad you chose to be happy. <laughs> I don't get it at all. I think um, I think unless you've uh, unless you've had you know, medical training or unless you've been through mental illness yourself, right? And whether that's anxiety or whether that's depression or whether that's PTSD or whatever, unless you've actually been through something yourself, mm. it's very, very, very hard to understand. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, or unless you've got a loved one who's been through it. And so when you think back to the 16-year-old who mm. was going, maybe laughs about career or being married. Oh, yeah. no, that marriage thing, that's, a, that's, that's, no, that's just a road to disaster, right? Every, these marriages end up in divorce. And here you are, married yourself mm. a few years later. Yeah, yeah. So I actually met Daniel the the week before I got healed of depression. Wow. Which is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Probably good timing. It's not easy to be in a relationship when you've got mental health issues. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but 
definitely. Yeah, it's amazing. That I like I always had the potential to be the person I am now. Yeah. But I could never have done it without God. Like God gives you the ability to be the person you knew you were always supposed to be. He just unlocks it for you. He just makes it possible. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling your story. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you. Wasn't that amazing? I wish you could see the joy on Alicia's face when she's talking about it, but you can certainly hear it in her voice. It doesn't matter where in the world you are or how broken your life seems, God can change your life. We would love for you to reach out to us if you'd like more information about how God can do this and how you can have love, joy, peace and purpose in your life. Send an email to podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Revival on the Air Today. To listen to the other amazing recorded episodes, we've got, I think, more than 60 so far. Just scroll down the page on your favourite podcast app or visit the website revivalontheairtoday.com. I hope you join us again. Until next time, God bless.